Alone, starring Steve and Kelly. We're back. I don't know why I did that. Like, Steve and Kelly, like, I let you... That's such a weird intro. We're rookies at this. <laughs> well, and we forgot Rod. Rod's with us. You know what? Yeah, I'm going to relocate this. Don't so <clears throat> forget we have Rod. All right. I could start this over, but I think it's funnier to just let it Let's go. bring it on. We're absolute amateurs here. Welcome to the Highlight Zone here on the All Things Geek Network, where Stephen and Kelly go over episodes of the Twilight Zone. Now, listen, Dad, you and I have talked about this. You have notes. I love this. This would be, what do they call it? What's the term? A penultimate? Is that what it is? A penultimate yeah. episode? Because the four episodes that we're going to be reviewing right now are huge. They are some of the most important episodes of the Twilight Zone outside of... Tear it 30,000 feet, <clears throat> 20,000 feet, sorry. <clears throat> but there are three of these episodes are some of the most viewed episodes in Twilight Zone history. All of them groundbreaking because at that time and that medium, this was all new. Every episode threw something brand new out a of the audience. Absolutely. And Terror at 20,000 back then, there were only 30 people that had ever been 20,000 feet high. We need to save this banter for that episode, but I have a lot of questions for you about that because watching, you know, this is not that episode. We have no, to talk about that. We'll do that later. Okay. So anyway, thank you for joining us where we go over four episodes of The Twilight Zone, uh, my favorite show of all time. This is a unique situation. I think we're going to make it a routine thing. Right now, my dad and I are in person together in the, <laughs> in the Boulders Hotel in Phoenix, Arizona, recording in person. And yeah, uh, just for us, it was great. It was. <laughs> Moonwalk. <laughs> so we're going to go over four episodes of The Twilight Zone. This would be season one, episodes four, five, six, and seven. Uh, right? One, two, three, five, no, six, five, seven, six eight. seven, eight. And those episodes are Walking Distance, Escape Clause, The Lonely, and Time Enough at Last. And just spoiler, like I told you before, two of these episodes have a nine rating for me. Almost a ten. Nine rating. I, this is how important this episode is, is because these four, I think, are maybe the best grouping of episodes in this entire show's history. So it's really cool to do this. So let's leap right in. Well, of all my reviews, I forgot to go through the rating at the end. So now I'm going to be that's, that's great. coming up with a rating. That's good because I have yeah. the ratings up here and I have mine. I need to set you up with IMDb so that you can record them like me so that you can see like it. You, <laughs> you hate the pressure. Here we go. All right. The very first episode that we're going to talk about today is the one that I was referring to last time, which is Walking Distance. There's some really interesting trivia about this one, but I fucking love this episode. Walking Distance is one of my favorite ones, and here's the, the little IMDb bio. A man, fed up with where he's at in life, finds himself not only in his old hometown, but back to the time when he was a boy. Break it down, buddy. So this James Bond-looking dude, because he's dressed in this yep. nice suit to the tens like those guys were in this little sports car, this open roadster, pulls up in the middle of nowhere at a gas station, looks around, honks his horn, the attendant's slow coming. He's sort of pissed off. Hey, by the way, isn't it fucking hilarious? I gotta watch the language. Actually, I don't because out on this network, it doesn't matter. He literally pulls up to a gas station and says he wants a full service. Yeah. Oil change That's and everything. That's the other thing. The guy asks him, do you want an oil change or do you want your motor rebuilt? <laughs> and he looks at his watch. What is happening? And he says, how long will it take? Oh, an hour and a half. An hour and a half? Or we can repaint the whole thing. It'll take two hours. Oh, I only have an hour and a half. We can so, rebuild your transmission as well. Yes, Give yes. me another 20 minutes and we'll rebuild your car. And he could do that. Anyway. Sorry. So, I digress. So he says, give me the oil change. He looks up and he sees the sign to his hometown. And of course, you're in the middle of nowhere. Who stops at a gas station in the middle of nowhere? Anyway, he stopped, he's asked the guy, how far away is he? He goes, it's about an hour or a mile and a half. Okay, I'll be back for the oil His change. His quote was, 
I can walk there? He goes, yeah, it's walking distance. Yeah, it's walking distance. So an hour, a mile and a half, he walks into town. Next scene, they come in. He's walking through the town. He goes into a malt shop and uh, orders a malt. And he tells the guy behind the counter, yeah, this thing used to cost me 10 cents. And the guy says, okay, that'll be 10 cents. And he looks at him, well, how are you going to make any money on that? So he starts talking and reminiscing about the town, looking around. He says, I used to live here. He leaves and he goes down. He wants to find his house. So he's looking up the street. And he comes to the house and he sees some kids out there, some young kids, a very important young kid, as we'll later find out. But he asks the kid, who lives there? And the kid says, oh, the so-and-sos. The Sloan's. There you go. Yeah, the Sloan's. Really? That's the Sloan house. Well, that, that's, that's <laughs> me. That's where I used to live. Well, they still live there. Well, how about Tommy Sloan, whatever his name was? And he goes, yeah, he's there. Little he's, Marty Sloan, he's yeah. Right, he's, yep. he's right there. And uh, so he follows the kid to, who is him, younger, he realizes as it's starting to ring a bell that this, he's reliving his life. So he follows the kid to the park and he sees himself sitting on a post carving his initials. Yeah, he goes, man, I used to know that gazebo. I carved my name yeah. in there. And he looks over and there's a kid and there's carving a kid his carving, name. And he right. realizes that's me. So he runs up to the kid, freaks the kid out and says, you're so-and-so. I didn't mean to do it. It didn't do any harm. Others have done it. So the kid jumps down, runs away. The guy follows him back to the house. His old house. In so he goes up to the door, knocks on the door. Who answers it? It's his dad, and he's looking at him. And he says, you're so-and-so. Well, I'm so-and-so. I'm your son. And the guy looks at him like you're an idiot. And he sees his mom, and he's like, guys, He sees his mom. mom he wants to dad, give her a hug, and she's right. looking at him like, honey, who is this pervert that's at our front door? Yeah. So then he tries to prove it to him. He pulls out his wallet. He's trying to show them all this ID and stuff. But he drops his wallet. Drops his wallet. But then the, the his dad says, you better get out of here. I'm going to have to report you. So he runs out. He's leaving. He finds himself sitting, I think, in the park. Yep. Wondering about things. And at that point, it's where he follows the kid to the merry-go-round. There's a merry-go-round in their little town, town center. The little <clears throat> town, yeah. And uh, he follows little Martin Sloan, little Marty, you know, over there. And he's, he's, he's obsessed with this idea. He's now freaking out because he realizes he's traveled back in time. Exactly. To his old town and his old self and he sees yeah. everything so he's losing his shit and he goes over to the merry-go-round and he calls out his own name and the kid turns around and sees him and he says this is that creep that saw me at the gazebo right. so the kid runs and jumps on this merry-go-round so of course martin senior the big the, the adult guy he jumps on the merry-go-round as well so around and around they're going on the merry-go-round and as he gets closer to himself the young kid the kid jumps off while it's moving and Hurts his leg really bad. He breaks so <laughs> everybody stops. All the kids come running around. Adults are helping the kid. And the older guy's just standing there looking at this, mesmerized. You don't know why. But uh, he's looking at They carry him away. And, and while he's sitting there contemplating all this, that, that was himself. He just got injured. He's being carried away. The dad comes back to him and then recognizes and he says, look. I know that you are my son. I know you I have your back. wallet. He goes, I have you come you back from wallet. another place because yes. I've got your wallet. What a cool dad, by the way. Like, he had this cool, like, recognition, but he was like, there's some weird stuff going yeah. on here. I don't understand it, but I know who you are. And I have your wallet, and it checks out. Your yeah. dollar bills are dated past today. Well, your ID 
With their driver's license expires in 1962. Now, right. Steve, that's what they tell me today. They look at mine and they go, why? Well, because yeah, we have Arizona driver's license that expires they 70 years expire. after you get them, which is why we have the worst drivers in the world. So anyway, sees all this. Young Martin has now a broken leg and his dad kind of has a cool moment, which is my favorite part of the episode is when those two have that like cool thing as I'm having a conversation yep. with my dad. And what does he say? He says like, this isn't for you. This place isn't for you. I don't know how you got here or whatever. And, uh, but it's just crazy. So he starts to realize hyper realization that man, things were better back then when you're a kid and take things too seriously, blah, 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 blah. Right. And he's, and the dad recognizes in him that he's cur He's concerned because he saw himself get injured. And he's, the dad says, you don't have to worry. He, you heal fine. Everything's great, except you're going to have a slight limp the rest of your life. Right. Okay. So that's, and that's the best part of the whole thing. That's, so. the, that's the wrap up of this because he sees that he impacted. He is the reason why he injured himself back 20 years before. Absolutely. In this whole thing. So... so He's thinking about that. He takes the wallet back. They say goodbye. He leaves and he walks back to his car. I guess the engine's been rebuilt by this time. And what you notice, <laughs> this is the weirdest thing because you never know. This is that twist in every one of, of the course, shows. Of course, and it's one of my favorite twists of all yeah. time. So as he's walking back this mile and a half, as he's approaching the gas station, you notice clearly that he's got a slight limp. He is limping back to yes. the car. When he walked to the town, originally he didn't. He now did coming not back, have that limp. he has a limp, yes. meaning that his time travel thing did impact his future. Yep. He so gets like back to the future. You know? Well, hold on, I'm gonna get to that because it's very similar to that. There's another movie coming out later, well, that's already come out, but he walks to his car and he's got a much lighter attitude. Um, he's happier and he's just like, you know, you gotta, what is his last quote? Do you remember what he says to the guy? He says something at the very end. I can't remember, but uh, yeah, he gets in the car realizing, Hey, don't, the general point is enjoy your youth, be, right. you know, that kind of thing. Right. And he gets in the car. So remember I told you last time, Twilight Zone has a couple of different, very standard mantras, Monst uh, aliens, yes. Robots and then good and bad and people sweet. Stuff. This is the best episode of that in the entire series. He limps back to his car, gets in there, and he drives off, realizing that it's not all bad. You know, you did your thing, and you know, whatever. And his frustration when he arrived is now gone because he has this reflection. Yes. He's self awareness, yeah. and he's now seen how his how his life now was impacted earlier. Now he's a happier guy. Driving right. in a way in his little convertible. His convertible, it's amazing. Okay, so this episode is directed by Robert Stevens, of course, written by Rod Serling. Sterling! Sterling! Mr. Sterling, right. <laughs> so, uh, this right here has an 8.2 rating on IMDb, which is a pretty freaking high rating for this show. An 8.2 is high for anything on IMDb. Uh, do you have a, a rating for that? I would go 8 to 8.5. After this one revelation that I shared with you a few days ago about who's in this episode. Oh, my God. Wait, mine yeah. went from an 8 to okay. an 8.5 because and this I has got to be one of the earliest of viewings of Ron, Ron Howard. Howard. Ron Howard is credited as the Wilcox boy. Now, I just rewatched this with you, <laughs> and I did not even catch that. That's wild that he's in this. So the cast is great. Uh, Martin Sloan is played by someone named Gig Young. What a cool fucking name, Gig. G-I-G, Well, he Gig looks Young. like a James Bond guy. He does. Oh, no, classy as hell. I just want to know what kind of car he had. But, okay, so 
Your rating is that mine is a nine. This is okay. one of my favorite episodes of this entire series. It's not quite a 10. I have my 10 episodes, which are just very Steven, but this is almost perfect to me. I fucking love this episode. Um, here's a little bit of interesting trivia. Writer and director of um, uh, Looper. I don't know if you ever saw, you saw Looper. Um, it's the time travel one with um, Bruce Willis where it's back and forth. Okay. He has his younger self. There's a really cool scene in Looper where the younger version of himself is being tortured and literally cut apart while the older version is running away from the bad guys. And he's running and he's running and he's running and then all of a sudden he doesn't have fingers. And he's trying to climb a fence and all of a sudden he looks at his hand and it's a stub. This is his reference. Ryan Johnson wrote and directed that. This is his reference point to that is the limp factor. Yes. The fact that something in your past that you change will impact who you are today. I think that is such a cool idea. Which it gives me the, the chance. Back to the future. The back to the future. Exactly. Future starts to fade. Exactly. So I, I think it's great. Uh, let's see here. The park episode is said to be inspired by the recreation park in Rod Serling's hometown in New York. Like the park in walking distance, Recreation Park has a carousel and a bandstand. There's a plaque in the Recreation Park bandstand commemorating a uh, uh, commemorative plaque for this episode because he based awesome. this on his hometown. This is one of the ones that he didn't write with someone else. He wrote this OG, just him. This is Rod Serling, I think, at his prime. Yeah. This is a sweet episode. There are no bad guys. There are no aliens or robots. This to me is almost perfection storytelling. I thought the mom was going to beat the shit out of so him. So did I. Saw him. Yeah, she was, she was pissed. Yeah. I would have given it a nine had she decked him or brought out the, <laughs> if she'd brought out the rolling pin and pounded him upside the head, chased him off the yard, but that didn't happen. So it's only an eight and a half. This film, uh, this was filmed in St. Louis. Uh, I don't know why that matters, but I mean, they film all over the place, but it goes back to our point before. They don't always film on a, a Universal or an MGM lot. They move around a lot, except for. The downtown scenes are typically always filmed on the MGM lot. Uh, this was Ron Howard's first time being credited as Ronnie Howard. His name in the episode wow. is apparently Ronnie, but even on IMDb, it says the Wilcox child, so I don't know why that matters. Uh, you know, although playing his son, Gig Young was actually five years older than the guy that was playing his dad. Okay. I thought that was really interesting. Martin's car is a 1959 Jaguar XK150. There we go. That's yeah, the that freaking cool car I want. So anyway, this to me is a nine. I freaking love this episode. And if you haven't watched Walking Distance, I highly recommend you do it. A lot of famous people and writers and directors credit this as one of their inspiration to do it. J.J. Abr uh, Abrams. Am I saying that right? J.J. Abrams? J.J. What am I talking about? What am I, am I saying his name right? J.J. Yeah, Abrams, I'm saying it right. Okay, man, that was weird. Rod Sterling. <laughs> who wrote and directed the new Star Wars ones. He made a Cloverfield, all these other ones. He made Super 8, which is a one of my favorite alien movies of all time. And there's a scene in it where they literally say, it's walking distance from here. And he has said that this is his favorite thing that's ever been made. So I think that walking distance is one of the most important TV shows in kind of our modern film telling, like, storytelling thing. I think that this is a huge episode, and I'm freaking pumped that we got to watch this again and talk about it, because freaking cool. walking distance is great. All right, here we go with Escape Clause. This is episode six. Oh, by the way, that came out, I forgot, I'm doing this wrong, October 30th, 1959. So right around Halloween is when uh, Walking Distance aired. The next episode, I'm going to do this properly this time, is called Escape Clause. 
Uh, a hypochondriac man sells his soul to the devil, exchanging for several thousand years of immortality. Uh, this episode aired on November 6, 1959, directed by Mitchell Leeson, written by Rod Serling, starring David Wayne and Thomas Gomez and Virginia Christine. I'm going to be honest, these people did not do a whole lot of things after this, but uh, let's break it down. A couple of minutes. Let's do it. If you believe in being typecast, the star in this show did. You hate him. He's such a jerk. He's a douche. He's this a guy is jerk an absolute. That he will never get a good role the rest of his life, and he probably never did because you may be right. This so, is a, I really hated him in this, by the way. I did too. The first thing he's laying in bed complaining about all his aches and pains, and the doctor comes, and his wife just hates him because all he of does course, is all sit he does in bed is and says he's going to die from every disease. The doctor comes in and says, "No, you are fine," but then the doctor leaves the room and tells the wife. You're stressed because this guy's an idiot. I'm going to give you a prescription. So I think it was the first Valium prescription ever given <laughs> on TV was in a Twilight. You could room. be right. I don't know yet. They don't mention that, but I have a feeling. So <laughs> the guy gets out of bed, sees she's got a prescription slip, looks at it. Oh, I'm the one dying, and he's giving you the prescriptions. So he goes back in the bedroom to die of some so, other disease. Real quick. So he is a hypochondriac. He yes. thinks that everything Completely. is going to kill him. He yes. is in bed. Oh, my God. The dust, the air, everything is bad, yeah. blah, 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 blah. He's a total dick to his wife. By yes. the way, you could not tell that story today like this at all. That is some misogynistic bullshit. He is an asshole. This oh. guy sucks hate, out loud. You hate this guy. You hate There's this nothing. guy the entire episode, including all the way up through the end, which is why yes. I... I love this episode because I'm so glad of what happens. So, All right, so keep it going. So he goes in back into the bedroom, and there's a guy in the room. And he starts talking to him, and he says, you know, I can solve all your problems. Well, really? And he explains to him that he's the devil. He can give him eternal life. He will never die. In exchange for his soul. In exchange for his soul. Of course, that's always the trade-off. So the guy thinks about it for a minute. He's, he's leery at first, but then he buys into this thing and says, you know what? I'm good for that. Let's do this. So he says, but... There is one escape clause con in the contract. You've got to sign this contract. He thinks about it. He goes, you know what? For eternal life, perfect. I'm, I will never die. This is a good thing. Signs the deal. The next scene. Okay, which is great because this guy is so worried about sickness and death that this makes sense to him. Which it, is why it's a great episode. It is. And now he challenges himself. The next couple of scenes... Or he's sitting in the house while the insurance adjusters are coming to give him checks because he sets himself up for accidents. He jumps in front of a subway train and he lays under the tracks and all the people are screaming and he just jumps up and his suit's torn to shreds. So he does all, he steps in front of cars, steps in front of buses. He does all this shit trying to kill himself to prove to himself, I cannot die. die. So his focus is trying to kill himself to prove that he can't die. Right. So he finally he's talking to his wife about, how do I figure this out? This just doesn't make sense. She's done with it. And he goes, you know what I'm going to do next? I'm going to climb on the roof. I'm going to jump off the roof. Let's see what they do then. Let's see if it really kills me. So she goes up to the roof to stop him. Well, they're on the roof. She ends up falling off the roof. She gets killed. So his mind is, oh, man, I really feel bad that my wife just <laughs> turned into a pancake on Fifth Avenue. He starts instantly thinking, wow, if I get sick, I'll, I'll admit to murdering her, I want to feel what the electric chair does because it can't kill me. 
So the cops come, he goes to jail. The next scene is with an attorney. This is the best. This is where the thing turns. It's, I freaking love this, this moment this right now. This is awesome. The attorney's thinking, I've got to do a good job. i got to save this guy from the, <laughs> yeah, from he's the like, electric no. chair. And he's like, no, no, I think this is going to be great. I want to see him hit the juice because nothing's going to happen to me. And the guy's going, you're, it, you're an idiot. I've got to protect you. I, I think I can do this. Well, the end, the sentence is, Life without parole. And the attorney is jacked. Look what I did. Look, I saved your life. You didn't go to the chair. And he's sitting there thinking about it. He's contemplating it. Next scene, he's in jail. He's sitting in there and he's talking to the um, to, death. to the warden. Oh, no, no, well, no you're right. The warden's. And it's his night before and then it's an hour before. And then he's going to the gat, to the electric. Or he's not. He's No, because they said, isn't it great? You have life and it could be... You could Worse be than this, yes. you could be dead, and you get three straight meals a day, and he sits back on his chair, and he's thinking, this is the worst ever, because I cannot, cannot die, die, and I'm, I'm going to be in jail stuck here forever. forever. So he calls out to Satan the escape clause, and the guy appears in his cell, and he says, I thought you would probably need this. So he says, okay, let's let's in, invoke or evoke the, the escape clause. Yep. So he to, says, okay, to die so that he doesn't have to live in jail forever. So he and then, then he, has a heart attack. Yep, and he and, vanishes. And well, the, the devil vanishes. The devil vanishes. He's laying there, and a guard comes and says, hey, hurry, call the, call the uh, ambulance. But he's already dead. Yes. So the end of the story. He sold his soul for nothing. Yep. He was an idiot. And he is. I would con I would consider him an antagonist. This guy is a dick. He's one oh, of he, the. He's the one of the worst characters I've ever seen. He's such a dick when he's sick, and then when he realizes he can live forever, he treats people like garbage, just like he did before. And he sucks out yeah. loud. Perfect. His wife. He's even worse to her after. Absolutely. There's nothing redeeming about yes, this guy from the nothing at all. To the end. He sucks. Even and his attorney. The attorney saves his life, and he's pissed at him. His name is the actor's name is David Wayne. And I gotta give this guy props because he's smarmy and gross and completely obnoxiously rude and just gross. So you're happy that he sells his soul and at the end that the devil takes him. Yeah. Like you It had a happy ending. It did because he fucking died. Because he sucks. Yes. So I adore this episode. This has an eight rating for me. Yeah. What about I'm, you? I'm right there as well. The consensus on IMDb is that it has a 7.3, so we're not far off. Again, another highly rated episode. Uh, I By the way, an episode I have never seen before. You know, oh, earliest great. shows, and I'll mention this as we see them, some of them I've never seen before. Even though I lived them in real life while they were filming them. I did not see this one before. Really? We started reviewing it, so... There's not a whole lot of trivia on this episode. Uh, the cast includes two actors best known for starring in long-running TV commercials. <laughs> Virginia Christine and Dick Wilson were both in commercials for a long time, which is why when you look this one up, you don't really recognize these people, which is why I kind of love this episode, because these people are nobodies, but they're freaking genius. They're so good on screen. I fucking love watching this episode and re-watching it again. I love it. I hate it. That's why I have such a high rating for this episode is because it's so fun to watch this guy fail. And he's such a dick. He's a genuine asshole. Yes. Like when he's thinking he's sick and then when he knows he's immortal, he's such a dick. Which brings up the question, and I've, I've been waiting to ask this for you. 
I have thought about this way more times than I should. I am a movie fan. Um, I, I love fiction, right? So I have thought multiple times about selling your soul for something, right? Because I don't even know what a soul is. I have thought about it multiple times. What did I sell my soul for money, for this? How much would I sell it for? A billion dollars, $2 billion, $10 trillion, what would I do? This guy is selling his soul for immortality and then it immediately backfires because the devil is never gonna give you what you want. No, There's always a caveat. He's not gonna make you happy. He wants, yeah. if this whole theory exists, it's the antithesis of what he's giving you Verbatim. is what you should do. Exactly Never do that. what he's offering. But this guy is so self-absorbed. He's such an arrogant prick yeah. that he jumps at the chance without thinking ahead. And the devil had this plan. I love the way Absolutely. it ended. Yep, it's perfect. He just saw it coming, he knew it, like he saw it happening, but that's what he does. Yes, he that's... He knows how stupid people yeah. are, and he saw a massive weakness in this idiot, and he, he milked him. Yeah. And now he has his soul. Who knows where it's going from here? But this is one of those things that makes me realize if I was ever offered the opportunity to sell my soul for something, I don't think I would do it just because I know that it's never going to be free. Right. You're going to be fucked somehow. Yes, you are. And in this episode, he begged for it. By the way, just as far as an opinion here, what wait, what was your rating? An eight? An, an eight. eight. Okay, an eight. So it's a high rating for all yeah, of us. Yeah. This is a very good episode. I left this episode really thinking about, and this is why I like this episode, is because I ended it and I started thinking about myself. And I started thinking about like what I would do in this situation. And uh, I'm not a hypochondriac. I don't really care. I'm. It is what it is. But if you had the ability to sell your soul for something, I kept on thinking about that. It's an interesting concept. If the devil came and said, hey man, you just got laid off. I could give you a trillion dollars, but I need your soul. It's always gonna come back and bite you in the ass. And I freaking love the concept of, I don't know, the existential idea of what's gonna happen later, which is why this is one of my favorite episodes yeah. because I hate him so much, but it makes you think afterwards, what would you do in that situation? And in his side, he wasn't worried about money. He didn't no. care about fame. He didn't care about anything except for he was always afraid of sickness and whatever. It was such a simple thing. Like you could live forever. And the first thing he does is like, great, I can live forever? Well, nothing matters anymore. Right. Which is an interesting thought because if you could live forever, you'd have the same thought, right? You'd be like, well, fuck. Now that nothing matters, everyone I know is gonna die and I'm gonna right. watch it happen and I'm gonna sit in this situation for life in jail, yes. but I would never in a million years have immediately started trying to kill myself, which no, is so the weirdest thing. It. The offer to each person would be different because- Absolutely. Because which is, the offer is your weakest point because they know you're gonna fail. Yes. In this show, the idea is whatever is your weakest point is what I'm gonna offer you because you're gonna jump at it and it's gonna fail. Which is You're why the, the devil doesn't show up when he broke his ankle or when his oil change you know, right. resulted in this. He waited till his darkest moment, came to him, and then gave him something that he thought was gonna be great and it was the worst thing that he's yeah. ever had. Now he's gonna be yeah. sitting in turmoil, whatever the yeah. fuck happens when you sell your soul to the devil. I don't know. You know the money didn't matter because you've got these insurance guys coming into the yes. apartment. Have you got the check? That's all I want is the check. And now get out of here. Mm -hmm. I'll take your money, but I really don't want to waste any time talking to you. Next. And then that yeah. other guy's walking in. Exactly. So we'll wrap up this episode review uh, on that one. I highly, highly recommend. 
everyone goes on Paramount Plus and watches these episodes because not only is Walking Distance great, this episode is fantastic, and we are literally leading up to one of my favorite 30 minutes of TV history, which is, I'm just gonna spoil it right now, which has a 10 rating. Just to spoil this real quick, when Lila was little, she used to ask me at Disneyland when we used to be in, you know, an hour long line to get into Soren. She used to say like, oh, tell me more about this show. Tell me another story about Twilight Zone. She used to ask me this. If she was here, she would tell you this. And this is the one that she liked the most. This episode is called The Lonely. It aired on uh, November 13th, 1959, directed by Jack Smite. And the little quick bio is a convict living alone on an asteroid receives from the police, a realistic woman robot. This is a very simple episode. We can break this down in two minutes. Dad, go for it. So the guy's on this asteroid that looks like a planet because there's mountain range. It looks like back. Arizona. I have Actually, what it looked like, and we right now in real time, Oppenheimer just came out this week. The scene where they're testing Oppenheimer looks like the set. You're not wrong. Of this. You are not <laughs> wrong. I was thinking that last week, watching it, going, this is desolate. Oh, this is Utah. This is where I was raised. Oh, yeah, this is typical. This is that background. So he's on this planet. The sun comes up, and he's in this little shack. And he's waiting there for supplies to come because the uh, system in on the planet Earth sends him reef, uh, reef fills his food supply once a year. So sure enough, this little spaceship comes and lands behind this hill. The three guys come running up. The captain he knows because he's been bringing him food once a year. And he's four years into a 50-year sentence. So he's complaining. He's all excited. Did my pr uh, parole go through? And the guy goes, no, man, I am sorry to tell you it was not approved. You're here for 46 more years. Oh, no. But I brought you something. So he has these two guys bring this box. This crate, these dis, these these angry kind of like workers that are these on this are spaceship. Just, these are minimum wage dudes. They that are, are on not this happy about being here. They've got, on they this have asteroid. to wear secondhand old football, leather football helmets instead of space outfits. So they're pretty much pissed. And they apparently hop from asteroid to asteroid. We have convicts like on every asteroid. I in the love universe. that concept, by the way. I love the idea that there's no death penalty. We're putting you on an asteroid yep. and we'll give you the sustenance that you need but, from time to time. But we'll you're gonna see you once a year. We'll bring you some canned peas. So they and they always have a time limit. It's like we have to leave in 15 minutes <laughs> or the rotation will yep. not allow us to ever get back. So there's a By the little way, that's, bit of science that's in That's great storytelling and science in it. They're like, listen, yes. the rotation of your asteroid is going to fuck us if we don't leave here in the next 20 minutes. We have very limited time. we got to go. Yes. I love that aspect of the story, by the way. I'm glad you just brought yep. that up. Okay. So they bring out this big crate, and the, the captain won't tell the two schlubs what's in the crate. They drop it there, and they all leave, and he gets back. On the They get on the spacecraft. They show it. Just, it just so we're clear. The captain is very sympathetic to the guy. He, he knows he likes the guy. He he's, likes him, and yeah. he knows that it's not really his fault what happened. And right. he's like, "Listen, I shouldn't have done this, but I brought you this thing yeah. to maybe help you. I can't relieve your your sentence, right. but I can kind of do this." Yeah. He's your parole didn't come through, but I'm going to make it easier. Absolutely. So open it when we're gone, because I can't let these other guys see what's in it. So they leave. The guy opens it up. He looks inside this box. And there's this woman, Alicia. She comes. Next scene is she's standing there, just standing there. He's talking to her. 
And at first he's really upset because he knows she's a robot. Why would they do this to me? What good are you going to be to me other than obvious? the obvious? Because the captain says she is in every single way a, a female, yes. a human. The skin is like skin. Her talk, she can communicate. She's been programmed to be exactly like a regular human. So he's thinking about this. He's really angry. Next scene, they're 11 months later. And he and she are talking. They're playing like chess or something in his little room having a conversation, and he's really digging this situation. It's normal. And she reminds him, well, aren't the uh, supplies coming again in a couple of weeks? He goes, oh, yeah. So sure enough, the next minute you see this rocket come down, <laughs> and the three guys come running the through the desert. Three the same three guys. Except this time the captain is jacked. Hey, hey, Charlie, whatever his name was. Your parole came through. Your probation. You're done. You're done. And he looks at him and he goes, I, I I, don't know what to do. I can't leave. He goes, oh, the captain says, you've got to leave. We only have 10 minutes. Or the rotation. So for yes. this damn rotation, <laughs> then why don't you just wait two weeks? Then I have like three hours. But he goes, all you have, we have room on board is for you in a small little box. It's not like he had yeah, a bunch of toiletries. It's, it's not like this. the NASA shuttle. This was no. a small compartment. They could not bring... Anything but this them. spaceship looked like a Coors can. <laughs> and I don't know how these three guys, because they show him climbing down the ladder. It is so small. And he goes, we don't have any more room because we have to pick up some of the other prisoners from the other, other places. So apparently there's this galactic probation. And these guys are going around picking up other little dudes and stuffing them in the base of this thing. So he goes, we only have 10 minutes. You got to go. And he goes, well, what about her? And he goes, she's a robot. Leave her behind. I can't leave her behind. She means a lot to me. And they go running into the little shack. She's not there. So then he knows where she's going to be. So they run down a path through Oppenheimer's Desert. And they come, <laughs> and they come to her. And she's sitting there contemplating on a rock. And he's looking at her, and the captain comes up to her and says, you cannot take her. We've got to go now. You've got to go back and pack. By the way, I, I love the captain. He's okay. my favorite character oh, in this thing. He's yeah. freaking great. He's sensitive. He knows. He's, there's he this gets thrill. it. But here's the best. Here's where he really shows his fatherly love. <laughs> he sees that his son, this prisoner, has a dilemma. And they only have five minutes because of the rotation. So they got to get off the planet. So what does the fatherly... <laughs> figure do he pulls out his Colt 45 and he blows away the girl now he knows she's just a robot so you're shooting a robot it's like we go out in the desert and you shoot old tv sets he shoots the robot <laughs> and the dude it's like this is my this wife is exactly... you just wasted my girlfriend my wife she's here and so he looks down at her and I'm thinking all the turmoil in me is like, oh, my God, he just blew her away, but she's a robot. But the other guy thinks she's real. So I'm thinking he's going to get in a fight with the captain. He just looks at him, and then it dawns on him, yeah, I guess she was a robot. So they all just leave. <laughs> and the last scene is this crumpled robot woman just laying on the rock. And I'm thinking, God, this is so many twists. He doesn't really feel bad. He probably says, well, maybe I can get another robot, a newer model when I get back. Yeah. He's not worried anymore. The captain isn't worried. He did his job. And the two schlubs are just happy to put on their old football helmets and get back on their spaceship. Now, the one thing that blew my mind on this, 
All of you listening, if you have not seen this episode, this spaceship is literally a Coors can. It, it, you're not For wrong. For some reason, they were able to bring enough material to build him this shack. But here's the most bizarre thing, and notice this. They left him a car. In front of his shack is an old car. It's not like there's a gas station there. Where the hell did they put that car on the spaceship? Okay, so I've seen this episode maybe 30 times. I've never thought about that before. I just thought that they built this shit... On this asteroid. What, they bring him a car? Why is there, yeah, you're right. I never thought about that. I, the so first thing that struck it. me is there's a car parked in front. Is he going to the movies later? Where is he going? What's he doing with a car? Holy and shit. how the hell did they get the car? Because I've seen that spaceship land twice. Yeah. <laughs> All you can bring with you is it's a shoebox. Yes. And you, it, but you we, brought me a car? We don't have any storage. You can only bring yourself. But yeah, we ended up to bring a you a freaking Cadillac and a shack. The wood to build a shack. Yes, so I'm I'm done with that, but the car just blew me away. It is. That's freaking hilarious. All right, so to me, this this episode is absolutely fantastic. Like I told you, this has a personal thing because Lila used to ask me about this episode. This is a 10. This is one of my favorite episodes of this show. It's one of my favorite half hours of TV history because watching this guy so angrily like, what am I going to do with a robot? And then you cut to a few years later and this robot is his soulmate. Yeah. It's his soulmate. So one of the things I wanted to bring up is if you look on IMDb, there are four people attached to this. Three of them are actors in it. One of them is Rod Serling. So you have Jack Warden, who's in everything. Yes. Uh, John Daner and then uh, Gene Marsh plays Alicia. Now, they're not crediting the other people on the ship because there are at least one, two, three, four people in this episode. This is why I love the freaking Twilight Zone. This is one of the most compelling stories I've ever heard in my entire life. And it's told in 26 minutes yes. with four people. Yes. Four people blew my mind. This is why this is one of my favorite 26 minutes in, in, in cinematic history. Uh, and it forces you to address so many issues. Yes. Love, abandonment, imprisonment. Oh, this. Um, Everyone listen uh, to what he's saying. This is exactly... Exactly what this death, is. death, losing a love, mortality, one. just everything. The, hating the system, everything. That hating you can the system think and then loving the system. Hating the system and then loving yeah. the system. Your boss treats you sh like shit. Well, this guy's probation. He's now on an asteroid for another forty-six years. Everything you experience is is brought into a twenty-six-minute episode of yep. this show, and the end is you just kill the person. Absolutely. <laughs> It's it, genius. Now, I want to read a quote because this is one of the things that I had saved to read this. There's a quote in this episode that I think is great, and I'm just going to read it right now. There's no more problems. There are. There's no more problems on heaven or earth. It's. I just love the idea that he started out hating. This is his sentence, and he should have been there because he was mis- not misdiagnosed. Uh, he was... No, he was falsely imprisoned. Falsely imprisoned. He knew that he was innocent. Which is, Even to the me, captain knew he was which innocent. Which, to me, being falsely imprisoned is my number one fear of anything. Uh, I can't tell you. Shawshank Redemption is very important to me because it is my number one fear of all time. Yeah. Being falsely imprisoned for something that someone else did... When you is, know you are false. Is my false. number You're one innocent. fear. I, I fear that more than I fear being burnt alive or being or drowning. That is my number one fear is being falsely imprisoned. Which is I why this it. could I'm be... I'm stuck in Georgia. This is false imprisonment. 
I don't love this shit. That's funny as hell. This episode, you guys need to drop what you're doing and watch this episode yes. because I freaking love this. What's your rating? I would give it a 10 and I challenge yes! anyone in this audience. Okay. Tell me what the car is that's sitting in front of his shack. I want to know. Okay, I'm reading a year the trivia on this and I don't see this. But there Why is, not? Because exactly there's the trivia on the other car. This car is in every You're not wrong. shot of this stupid show. We talk about filming locations a lot. I want to read this one bit. This is the first of many Twilight Zone episodes, including I Shot an Arrow into the Air, which is second season, 100, years, uh, 100 Yards Over the Rim, and the Rip Van Winkle character to be filmed in location in Death Valley. So I, I just think that's really good. Unprepared for the terrible conditions they would face, the crew suffered extreme dehydration and heat exhaustion, and director of photography George T. Clements even collapsed falling from a camera crane while filming the episode. Okay. How cool is that? This episode is incredibly important because of what they went through to make it, but also this is one of my top five favorite episodes of this show. This episode to me, me well. resonates nonstop. I freaking love this episode. I, this is why the episode that you and I are recording is so important because you have walking distance, you have uh, time at last, and this, it's just freaking great. So please drop what you're doing and go watch these four episodes. The Lonely is the one we're talking about right now. Leading up to... By the way, I want to buy that car on Craigslist. No shit yet. If you can find that, tell Andy. In the back lot. You and Andy can fix it all up. <laughs> okay, leading up to one of the most famous episodes in Twilight Zone history. Bring it. Am I skipping anything? Do you have notes for the last no, thing you want to bring up? No, you're good. Bring okay. it on and I'll... Here we go. This is one of the most famous. This is what I was referring to last time. There are shirts that have this on there. You can get mugs that have this on there. The episode is called Time Enough at Last. It aired on, let me tell you, it aired on November 20th, 1969, directed by John Bram, written by Rod Serling, uh, starring a bunch of people that you've never heard of, uh, Burgess Meredith, Vaughn Taylor, and Jacqueline DeWitt. Oh, I love these names. And here's the little bio before we go into the details. A hen-picked book lover finds himself, finds himself blissfully alone with his books after a nuclear war. I can't imagine this is going to take long to break down, but please, Dad, for the love of God, break down this hilariously insane okay. episode of The Twilight Zone. This inept little dude, think of the dorkiest person you ever knew in grade school or you, middle school. This is that kid. No offense to the dorks <laughs> out no, there. No, no. But imagine that kid. Picture this is, this is him. The most introverted homely, small, short, near whatever, combine them all into one and that's this guy. So he's a bank teller and he screws up the accounts because he always gives the wrong change to the, to the ladies at the counter because he's not thinking about what he's doing, he's thinking about reading. He loves to read, he reads every second. He gets called into his manager's office and says, you've been caught sneaking down into the vault for your lunch hour reading books. Well, I love to read. Reading is worthless. Reading has no value at all. So he goes home and his wife, his wife should be married to the guy that was the, um, that thought he was going to die from everything because those two, yeah, no a, shit. Oh, those well two said. are yeah. a match made in yep. hell. This wife abuses him. They have a dinner party and she says, you've got 10 minutes to change. And he says, well, honey, I, you've got 10 minutes to change. So he puts on his suit jacket and he finds a book that she had hidden under the mattress of his chair. 
and he takes this little paperback, stuffs it in the pocket of his suit jacket, puts it on, he's all happy. And he goes out and says, she says, what's that in your pocket? Well, it's nothing, honey. Well, she had planted that book there. It's a book of poems or whatever. And every page she had scribbled through it had destroyed his old book. And she just laughs and she turns and leaves. So I guess they didn't go to the Diddy party. She just <laughs> yeah. burned him. She was just doing this whole thing as a trick, sets him up. Next scene, he's in the bank again. He's walking down the stairs to the vault in the basement. He sits in the vault. He closes the door. This guy locks himself in that giant steel door, sits down with his sandwich in wax paper. Those of you who are younger than 60 don't know what wax paper is. I don't know what wax okay, paper is. Okay, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. okay. He's blissfully enjoying his book for 30 minutes, and all of a sudden the whole thing shakes. Lights go out. He's raw. He's falling all over the place. When the dust settles and he comes to... He crawls out of the vault, goes up to find a landscape that is completely devoid of any structure. It's just the whole world's been annihilated. Okay, so real quick, this is one of the things that freaks me out about real life is it could happen like that, right? Who yeah. the fuck knows? But they don't explain at all what happened. They don't know if it was Russians or the Chinese or if it was an, an accident or an asteroid. Remember, they do show a newspaper that he's reading that newspaper that morning and the newspaper says testing of new... Hydrogen <gasps> bomb. I, okay. Hey, well, there is a clue. Delete this section because I didn't see that. Okay. I didn't catch that. Check Just that, that out. Okay, watch for this when you watch it because I was, I've seen this one several times. I love this episode for one reason. Here's a plug to my wife. Sandy, as long as we've been married, we talk about your vision. And I remember how thick your lenses were when we were first married. Oh my now, God, I know where you're going with this. I know where you're going with this. Now, you can't even tell it. And I love you dearly for that vision thing because it's you've just made your whole life it's no big deal, but your eyesight isn't good. This, well, this guy has Coke bottle glasses. That's what we used to yes, call them when yes. we were kids. So back in the 60s, these lenses were an inch thick. This guy has these lenses. And every time I see this poor guy, I think very affectionately of my wife and the glasses she used to have to wear as a kid. So anyway, he's wandering around. He looks and realizes he's the last person alive. What am I going to do? How do I eat? He goes into a, the remnants of a store and finds food. And he's got all this canned food. Well, I guess I can eat for years. What else do I do? And he sits back and he's just frustrated because he doesn't know what to do. His wife's gone. He goes to their house and it's a smoldering ruin. But he finds a gun. And he looks at this gun and he's thinking about, I can just end it right now. Well... He puts the gun, when he's thinking about that, he turns and he sees where the library in the town used to be. So all of a sudden it dawns on him, this is Nirvana. I've got the, I love to read, I've got the library and no one can tell me not to read. So he walks up the steps. The next scene is he's piled up these books. He's reading off all of these titles from authors going way back and he's got them categorized. This is for January, February, March. I'm gonna be reading for years. And he's got these books piled up and he sits down on the stairs to contemplate his newfound treasure when the books fall over this pile and they break his glasses, his Coke bottle glasses. <laughs> it's brutal. Now, this dude is flat out blind. There are no more optometrists in the world. He picks up the glasses. The lenses fall out. So this, this cool little thing where the glass falls out and that just strikes home. This guy is done. Yep. So here he is sitting there, the camera pans away, he's on the stoop, all these books are piled up, 
and he's crying because his glasses are broken. He cannot do the one thing that he loves he to do more to in life. Read and there's his no books. one that can help him. Horrible ending. It's it's yep. it's gut wrenchingly Twilight Zone because totally that's the totally. twist is that he is screwed. He his 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 main thing is gone. Uh, his I, only thing. His only everyone thing. Everyone hated him. His boss hated him because he read. His wife hates him because she sets him up, scribbles in his book. It's all he wants to Absolutely. do. Absolutely. Okay, so, man, there's a lot to unpack on this one because this, apps, uh, this episode it does matter. This is one of the highest rated episodes of The Twilight Zone of all time. This has a 9 rating on IMDb. An 8.9 with uh, 7,200 views, blah, 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 or ratings. I give this a 9. I it, did the same. I this, would agree. Okay, cool. So there's some interesting trivia on this episode, actually, that is worth mentioning over here. Out of 92 episodes of The Twilight Zone written by Rod Serling, he wrote 92. This is his personal favorite. That's cool, right? Okay. Two pairs of glasses were used for Burdett's character. One with thick lenses for the close-ups and one with clear glass for the long ones so that he could actually see. <laughs> uh, I just love this. This is one of only four episodes of The Twilight Zone in which Rod Serling uses a mid-episode uh, narration. The other three are Walking Distance, I Shot an Arrow Into the Air, and I Sing the Body Electric from 1962. I thought that was interesting. Um, the first of four Twilight Zones starring Burgess Meredith. This guy has been in multiple. We yes. talked about this last yes. time. A lot of these episodes have recurring actors. They didn't work for Twilight Zone, but they kept on showing up. You was know, this back in the day where there were contracts with the studios? I don't know. That's a and, great... And then they were... Because you used to contract out, like, I'm going to film this movie for MGM. I, yeah, I'm going to sign I've a six... six James Dean. James Dean signed, like, a six-episode, uh, a six-film deal with MGM yeah. and then died in the middle. But, I mean, that's how you used to do things. It was almost like a baseball contract. Yeah, you were a contract actor for a studio. And that's... We mentioned this before. A lot of these characters you will see... Over and over and over again. And then you recognize them 10 years later, 20 years later, in big-time movies. And you wonder... Now, I know Ron Howard would have made it anyway. His, <laughs> his bit part. But the fact that I recognized him, and you had not even recognized I, that's, that. That's so crazy. It is. That there's a lot of big-name players in the industry that got their start in Twilight Zone. Yeah, no joke, absolutely. Okay, so there's two more things. One of them I'm embarrassed to say because I didn't catch this, but the first one is the director of this episode was awarded the Director's Guild Award in 1960 for this episode. That's awesome. So this guy literally won the award for best directing on this episode. So once again, the episode that we're recording right now has some of the most important episodes in TV history. This is like groundbreaking directors today. Yeah literally base their shit off of what we're talking about right now. Real quick, this You're 10 good. seconds. This was filmed in 1960. The, the Cuban Missile Crisis was 1960. This was huge news where the USA, this, we citizens thought we were going to be bombed into oblivion Which, by Russia in 1960 when this was filmed. So this idea of an atomic bomb attack was real news during the filming of this. Which literally leads up to this next bit of trivia I have for you. The newspaper that Mr. Bemis reads says, and this is why I'm embarrassed, because I, I must have peed at this point or just like skipped over it. 
H-bomb capable of total destruction. Noted atomic scientist reveals possibility of H-bomb. One of the world's leading nuclear physicists today stressed the danger to mankind and a race of hydrogen bomb, the race to the hydrogen bomb, is a total catastrophic. In a speech given at a, a symposium at a nuclear weapons thing before blah, 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 before the United States and Great Britain. So there you go. That's one of them. Here's the other thing I wanted to say. We never really talk about what Rod Serling says at the beginning or the end. We maybe should start focusing on that, but this is the thing that's interesting is in this episode, it starts with the best laid plans of mice and men, which is a famous quote from Robert Burns' 19, uh, 1785 poem, To a Mouse. This is all interesting because it does lay the kind of the ground of what's going on. You you have these plans of doing it, but it's it's gonna it's gonna destroy everything. Which is like you said, Oppenheimer. It's the same kind of thing. It's a weird yeah. time that we're talking about this. Literally the day that Oppenheimer opens. It's a fascinating idea, but this is in theory what they were afraid of. It destroyed everything. Kind of not the point of the episode. The point of the episode is not. The end of the world. No, that's that's secondary. That's secondary that to this guy. That sets up the story. Absolutely. But good God, do I love this episode. So I'll just give it to you right now. On IMDb, this episode has let's just da -da 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 -da, has an 8.9. To me, this is a nine. This is a nine for me too, and a shameless shout out to my wife Sandy. Those glasses. Those glasses. The this, vision factor. This show, okay. because of his glasses and his love to read. I've loved that's my mom. That's my mom. Sandy taught me to yeah, read when she's we were first blinded, married. Yeah, she's blind as shit and she loves to read. Yep. That's so, her. She's they, Mr. They couldn't Beavis. be more apart. She's very beautiful. This guy's a of little course, geek. Of course, but I But mean, it's the glasses that is the narrative that is the focus of this whole show. At the end of the show, you lose that one thing that you take for granted and your whole world is destroyed. It's over. It's done. So you comment on what Sterling says. Before every show. I'm saying stupid. And I'll tell you, over the years, I've started to listen because he's very, very... He has points to make in every one. And they're yes, very he simple. Yes. And they play out as you watch that episode. But if you were to get a whole list of the 160 things he said, they're all truisms. Everything Absolutely. he says Absolutely. is basic but fundamentally and true. human. Yes. Oh, it's yeah. very you and me. And it's, I think that has a lot to do with him... As a human being, as, as a, a person. human being, and why they were so successful with it. Absolutely right. Uh, could not agree more. What a fantastic four episodes to watch. If you need to find these things, you can watch them on Freebie, or like I've said, go to Paramount Plus, subscribe. You can buy this on Apple Plus. You can own it for a hundred. I think it's a hundred dollars, which or eighty eighty nine dollars. Can't remember. They keep on changing the price of it, but you don't have to buy it. Just subscribe to Paramount Plus. Go and watch these episodes with us. Uh, you have anything else that you have for this? Peace out. And uh, how do we end this? <laughs> we end this, this is Rod with, Sterling. This is Rod Sterling. <laughs> Say goodbye, everybody. Go and watch these episodes. For They're the awesome. love of anything, these are some of the most important episodes, literally, I think, personally, yeah. in cinematic history. I'm not talking about TV or movies. The four that we just covered, they cover robots, Human sadness, uh, isolation, uh, being imprisoned, dealing Old with the devil. The world ending. I'm not joking around. This episode that we just recorded and talked about covers four of what I would genuinely consider to the bottom of my soul some of the most important things ever put on camera. Yeah. I mean, literally, movies that are made today 
are based on these premise. Shooting robots in the desert being one of them. Fuck, man. I... God damn. <laughs> that episode I, kills me. Literally. The, it hurt her too. <laughs> <laughs> We're Rod Sterling. Thank you for watching. It's been great. See you next week. Thank you.